as a true commitment to our medical education platform. Not even the Texas Polar Vortex can prevent us from getting our podcast out today. I know it sounds super whiny because Texas is cold right now. Yes, we're not used to that. And it's a whopping like maybe 10 degrees. But how whiny is that? Let me just put things into perspective. We've got a podcast family member uh, in Canada, uh, in Western Canada, who just communicated. Uh, we communicated yesterday and said, hey, yeah, I'm doing all right over here. It's like minus 40 degrees, minus 40 and meanwhile, we're over here with our 10, maybe 15 degree Fahrenheit weather. Uh, and like all of the world has shut down in Texas. Hey, that's all right. We're unique. We get that. We're going to keep on going. And that makes my point that even in the polar vortex, we are knocking out our podcast today. And it's so interesting, guys. Let's put this in perspective. Listen. The last podcast of 2023, if you remember on December 31st, that was lust for TOLAC, all right? So lust was lower uterine segment thickness. And we covered that. If you didn't hear that episode, please listen to it. It's fascinating stuff because people are doing some stuff to try to encourage women to make a decision for TOLAC or to discourage them from doing so. And is there data for that? For sure. Is there great data that is universal and all in agreement? No way. And so this is where things kind of fall into this gray zone, these cracks, and some patients, in an effort to protect them, may be dissuaded from undergoing TOLAC. Okay, so we've talked about lower uterine segment thickness, thickness or the lust for TOLAC. All right, super interesting. Again, go back and listen to that episode. But despite all the predictive tools that are out there, there's TOLAC calculators. There's this potential thing of measuring the lower uterine segment. Let me very let me be very clear right now. Maybe in the future, when that is uniform and standardized, that may be a very valid thing. It's not right now. Okay, so and I'm going to address that a little bit more in this episode with this new data. Um, but it's not right now. Okay. Right now, as we mentioned, December 31st, 2023, you can do that as an education piece, but that shouldn't be the de facto tool to allow or discourage TOLAC because we just, it's just, it's just very unclear. And some of the data says it, it just doesn't do anything. It's not predictive. So truth is somewhere in the middle, but as of right now, we are not ready for that for mainstream. Okay, so there's been plenty of tools that have been out there to try to predict rupture. Guys, we TOLAC in our institution, of course. And yes, it's a little stressful. Uh, I, I, I get that. I'm at the bedside as well. And it's just a little bit of extra tension until that child delivers or she stalls or whatever. And then you make a decision and you're like, whew, at least that's done. I get that. It is stressful. But man, if somebody could just make one tool that is reliable, a reproducible that can really say this patient definitely has a super high risk of adverse issues, mainly uterine rupture, and should not do it, um, that would be really fantastic. That would be wonderful. That would be great. Okay. But of course, we don't have that one reproducible, super reliable tool. We just don't. So people have started to use this composite kind of approach. Well, I'm going to use a TOLAC calculator, and then I'm going to measure the lower uterine segment thickness, and then we're going to use very strict protocols, intrapartum, to try to protect the patient. All of those ideas are absolutely admirable and sound good. 
but do they work? Well, six days after we released that previous episode on New Year's Eve called Lust for Tolak, the PRISMA study was released. PRISMA was actually published in The Lancet on January the 6th, 2024, and we're going to cover that in this episode. Yeah, just about a week ago. The title of this publication is Perinatal Morbidity Among Women with a Previous Cesarean Delivery PRISMA Trial, which was a cluster randomized trial. Now, when you first read this, if you just that's why, guys, you got it. I know it's painful sometimes and it takes time. You got to actually read the entire article. Because if you just read the abstract or maybe read a snippet, it shows, oh my goodness, wait a minute, using a multi-prong model, including a TOLAC calculator and lower uterine segment thickness, wait a minute, that actually prevented a lot of major uh, perinatal morbidity? Then I'm going to use it. Wait a minute, it's deeper than that. And when you actually read the actual, the entire article, things get broken down and it makes a lot more sense. And I'm going to make it very clear in this episode. So once again, in this episode, we're going to tackle the PRISMA trial that was published on January the 6th, 2024 out of The Lancet because it adds more information about lower uterine segment thickness. Fascinating. So that's going to be our focus today. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves really fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Before we get into the Lancet article, and, and I'm going to tell you who's on that as part of the PRISMA trial, uh, because this is really not a U.S. study. Uh, this was out of Quebec. And when I tell you one of the authors on there, you're going to go like, oh, it's that same dude. Absolutely. So I'm proud of him for still sticking to uh, this as a major area of research. It's now been over 20 years that this physician has looked at, at this issue of wound closure, and hysterotomy closure, and thickness of the lower uterine segment. And we mentioned this provider on New Year's Eve when we talked about the first Lust for Tolac episode. So I'm telling you, that's Man, that's dedication. Anybody can study something for two years, three years, find something, and then drop it. When you really want to figure this out, you stick with it for over 20 years. Well, I'm just telling you who it is right now. Uh, and if you remember this name, uh, it'll sound familiar because we talked about it, of course, as we mentioned in the first episode and in previous episodes, including hysterotomy closure. Uh, it's Emmanuel. Emmanuel Bujold um, in, in Quebec. So just fantastic. that His dedication to this out of Canada uh, is just amazing. We do have plenty of podcast listeners uh, in, in Canada. So thank you all for hanging in there in your bitter cold, which is really cold. Uh, I mean, that Western Canada, I mean, my goodness, it's minus 40. Um, yeah, people would lose their straight up mind up here in Texas with that. So anyway, all to say this is Canadian. The Prisma trial uh, and kudos to Emmanuel Bujold for sticking through this for all this time to give us all some education and try to give us more data on lower uterine segment thickness, health uh, and ability to TOLAC. But before we dive into Lancet, um, I, I do have to say something about these TOLAC calculators, and I touched on it before. Th there's been a lot of controversy about the TOLAC cal uh, calculators, especially when they include ethnicity, uh, a race into their calculation, because uh, that's kind of weird, right? It's kind of like the APGAR score. I mean, the APGAR score using color as an APGAR um, point contributor is 
kind of flawed for babies who aren't uh, pink uh, at delivery. And of course, the pinkest babies are Caucasian babies. So I've got another episode somewhere in the archive about is it time to change the APGAR score? Lots of good published data that, man, we're kind of punishing some babies for not being pink, which has to do with pigment and not necessarily oxygenation. Was the same thing here with the TOLAC calculator. Using rate or ethnicity has been very well commented that potentially we are dissuading some from undergoing TOLAC uh, because that's included in there and how it's weighted on the result. One of the the nicest reviews uh, that looked at this, even though there's been several and several abstracts, of course, um, was actually in July 2022 in Reproductive Sciences. The title was Racial and Ethnic Disparities Among Women Undergoing a Trial of Labor After Cesarean Delivery, Performance of the VBAC Calculator with and Without patient's race, or ethnicity. This used the MFM network vaginal birth after C-section calculator, which of course has been very well published, and then applied it one way using, of course, race or ethnicity, and then the other is not using it to see which one actually was better or if they were comparable in their prediction of TOLAC success. Well, what they found was, quote, there was not a statistically significant difference between the predictive abilities of either model. The authors concluded, quote, the use of race and ethnicity did not contribute to the accuracy of VBAC prediction. The use of race and ethnicity in this predictive model should be omitted to prevent inherent bias and discrimination, end quote. Okay, fine. The calculator is good as an education tool, but not perfect. We get that. But now let's move on to the other independent variable. And trust me, guys, I'm setting up the the case here for this new study from Prisma um, has been that measuring the low uterine segment. Now, it makes sense. I get it. Emmanuel Bujold was one of the first ones to kind of look at this. And we covered all that again previously. Um, But does it actually work? Is it absolutely reproducible? And the answer is no. I mean, there's there's evidence that, yes, it could be helpful, and others that say it's absolutely not helpful. So as a standalone tool, it's got some issues, okay? Again, meant for education, but shouldn't be the de facto discriminator here between TOLAC or, or, or not. And if you remember, if you go back to ACOG's committee opinion, number 831, on medically indicated late preterm and early term deliveries, nowhere on there does it say measure the lower uterine segment thickness in previous C-section patients so that who you would do a C-section earlier. That's I've, I've heard that's a thing too in the communities. Um, that's very admirable to try to protect the patient. It's also not really evidence-based. Um, now, if a patient has a classical C-section, transfundal myomectomy, uh, or is at very high risk of rupture, yes, that does require, obviously, earlier cesarean delivery. But as a standalone measurement, the lower uterine segment thickness as a way to tell a patient you must have your C-section before 39 weeks, electively, uh, it, it's not on that list. Now, remember, and I've talked about this before, I get it. It's kind of a guideline. You can't stick everything on there. But that one was purposely not on there because the data is not that clear on it. All right. So right now, using the lower urine segment thickness uh, as an attempt to schedule a patient's C-section earlier is just not a thing. I get it. It makes sense. Um, but there, there is some potential risk of taking the child out too early um, over the, the sweet spot, of course, of, of 39 weeks and above. So, Measuring the lower uterine segment is not 
part of the committee opinion number 831 from ACOG medically indicated late preterm and early term deliveries, so its thickness should not guide or should not dictate earlier delivery either. So if you see what I'm trying to lay out here, VBAC calculator has a little bit of issues, low uterine segment thickness maybe has a little bit of issues. So why don't we combine all of them together? See, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, sounds logical. If each one has their handicaps, when we group them together, their composite strengths will outweigh any handicap. Well, again, it's a great idea, but does that actually work? Well, that was basically the premise of the PRISMA trial. Now, PRISMA trial took like two years to do. This was a long time, and it, it focused on 40 hospitals in, the, in Canada, okay? I was about to say the U.S. there. No, 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 this was in Quebec. This was in Canada. Now, so 40 hospitals, and the patients weren't randomized. The hospitals were randomized, all right? So the randomization points were the hospitals themselves, but the individual data points obviously came from the patients, okay? So they took 40 hospitals who underwent randomization at the end of a baseline period. So they said, hey, get some baseline data, and then once we get that, boom, then we're going to go into randomization, and it's going to be 20 hospitals assigned to what's called the intervention group, this composite uh, uh, predictive model uh, to help with uh, with TOLAC, and I'm going to explain that, and LUST was part of that, measuring lower urine segment thickness. And then the other 20 hospitals were assigned just to uh, no intervention, you know, kind of routine care. Now, the thought is, Surely, if we combine a VBAC calculator and measure the lower urine segment thickness uh, and really have very structured, organized intrapartum protocols, well, we should have that anyway. Uh, but if you just basically manage them without very with little variance, so best practice, uh, they should do better. Okay? Now, we're going to get into all of this, but if you just read the abstract or read a headline, it kind of sounds like it worked. But you got to go into the numbers because if you take a look at, at just the main heading, it says, oh, well, clearly there seemed to be a significant reduction in the rate of major perinatal morbidity from the baseline period to the intervention period in those who had this intervention. You're like, well, sign me up, coach. I mean, that's great. Fantastic. But what does that mean? What is the major perinatal morbidity? Because as we're putting into this perspective, the biggest factor with a TOLAC is what? Not a repeat C-section. That's just a TOLAC expected outcome. It's not even a failure. Just It's part of the game. Uh, it's what's a major factor here. What's a major perinatal morbidity? Uterine rupture. That's what we're really trying to figure out here. Is, is this thing helpful to predict uterine rupture? And I guess you would Guess by the way I'm laying it out. Um, let me just spill it now. No. So, so wait a minute. So, well, where did the perinatal morbidity reduction come from? I'm going to tell you. And it had likely nothing to do with lower uterine segment thickness. Okay. And it's very, uh, this is not my opinion. This is strong. I'm just, if you can read a clinical app, a paper, uh, you're going to get the same information. Okay. So, we're going to present it here to you. And just to be very clear, let me read you uh, the exact wording here because uh, I don't want to misspeak. Quote, minor perinatal and maternal morbidity, cesarean delivery, and uterine rupture rates did not differ significantly between groups. End quote. Did y'all get that? Uterine rupture did not differ 
between the two groups. So using lower uterine segment thickness as kind of a a discriminator uh, or not did not decrease uterine rupture rates. We get that, but we have to explain what was this drop in major perinatal morbidity. So let that sit in for a minute. I'm going to come back and we're going to dissect this a little bit more. This PRISMA program, the intervention packet that hospitals would follow if they were randomized to do that, um, was a, a combination of professional training on, quote, best practice, end quote, and also the use of these tools that were aimed to help give women uh, the proper um incentive, I guess, education slash background on on undergoing a TOLAC. As the authors state here, this combination was first uh, giving them a decision aid tool. So what is that? It's like, well, here's the risks and benefits of TOLAC versus repeat, right? So that's that's the information presented as, as a non-biased dis- decision aid tool. Second was the estimation of the probability of vaginal delivery. That's your TOLAC calculator. And then third, here it is, guys, the estimation of the risk of uterine rupture using ultrasound measurement of the lower uterine segment in the third trimester. Like, well, when was that done? Just like we discussed before, typically done between 35 and 38 weeks. Now, the question is, well, how do you know what, what that translates to as an estimate for rupture? Remember, this was Emmanuel Bujol. That's been his one of his life studies. And so that's all probabilities. Okay, so it's all based on, well, based on this thickness, um, you would think that those are assumptions and probabilities. Okay, so that's your combination. That's the entire packet of a decision-making tool, TOLAC calculator, and then lower uterine segment thickness. And then the endpoints were, well, one, did TOLAC work? Uh, Second, was there a big decrease in major perinatal morbidity? Uh, And then third, of course, did it help protect the patient against the most horrific issue of a TOLAC, which is uterine rupture? Now, this did not happen just at delivery, like they're blindsided with all this information. Now they have to decide. No, no, no. This happened during pregnancy. So the hospitals that were randomized to intervention, then they they knew and the providers said, hey, we've been trained on this. Here's what we're doing. Uh, We're going to use these tools to help you decide whether you'd like to have a TOLAC or not. And then that was also offered to them on admission for delivery, all right? So this wasn't just when they came into the hospital, oh, you've been randomized to have this. Uh, Here's the info. Let's measure your lower urine segment. Now you have to decide right now. No, they've already been coached on it. They've gone through this process, uh, this little program. So when they went to labor and delivery, now time for for their actual birth, this was not a blindside, right? They knew this already. This happened during pregnancy and then again uh, at time of admission. As we mentioned already in the description, this did include 40 hospitals and over 10,000 patients in each the intervention and the usual care called the control group. So it was 20,000 patients, guys. This is a a huge undertaking, 40 hospitals, 10,000 patients in each group. Okay, now remember, we're trying to figure out if having this controlled little packet could help prevent real big issues, including urine rupture. The intervention resulted in a reduction in composite perinatal morbidity from its baseline. So if you read that, you're like, okay, works for me. Now, wait a minute, let's go deeper into it. The absolute risk difference was 1.2%. 
Now, I'm going to take any risk reduction in perinatal morbidity, but this was 1.2% as the absolute risk difference. This is where it's important to look, to look at. Is something statistically significant? And is it clinically significant? I'm going to fight for the 1.2%. I'll take any reduction, but it's not a 5%. It's not a 6%. It was a 1.2%. Now, I'm going to tell you what these are in a minute. But this is why it makes the point. This is why you have to look at the entire data, okay? Because if you read that decrease in perinatal morbidity, fantastic. And it is. But it's mainly driven by two factors that had nothing to do with the lower uterine segment thickness. So now let me explain that. This composite perinatal morbidity consisted of perinatal death without lethal anomalies, APGAR scores at five minutes less than four, metabolic acidosis, major trauma, intracerebral or intraventricular hemorrhage, grade three or four, periventricular leukomalacia, HIE, seizures, invasive mechanical ventilation, major respiratory morbidity, necrotizing enterocolitis, proven neonatal sepsis or infection, and hypotension requiring vasopressor support in the child. All of those are real big perinatal morbidity factors. And so what made the big drop here in that 1.2%? Well, that's the catch. That drop was mainly based on two things going down. It was the rates of metabolic acidosis, which was a pH less than 7 and a base excess uh, more than negative 12, just like ACOG says, and major trauma of the child, which is skull fracture, subdural, subarachnoid hemorrhage, brachial plexus injury, spinal cord injury, major genital tract injury, paralysis at discharge. Um, Those are the big things here. It's like, wait a minute, how did that happen? Well, if you're thinking about vaginal delivery, um, that's maybe it uses a forceps or a vacuum. Of course, that's where the major trauma comes in with subdurals or subarachnoid bleed, which elective C-section you would think would have prevented. Okay, so those are the two big factors, metabolic acidosis and a drop in major trauma. And guys, those were rare to begin with. Okay, so that's that you got to tick every you got to look at the actual numbers. Each case of those were, were very, very small. So the decrease in in composite perinatal morbidity was not uterine rupture. It had to do with metabolic acidosis in the child and birth trauma, which could be influenced by what? And the authors say this in their in their uh, discussion. This likely had to do with those evidence based best practice approaches intrapartum. That's why the intervention group had less of that. It's it's cautious use of Pitocin. It's putting patients on the clock. Uh, it's a careful interpretation of the NST. It is the intrapartum stuff that's considered best practice that likely led to this improvement in overall perinatal uh, morbidity, but not the issue of lower uterine segment thickness. Now, I don't want to misrepresent any of the data here, so let me just read it directly from this publication. Quotes, rates of primary repeat C-section, TOLAC, intrapartum cesarean birth, VBAC, and uterine rupture were not significantly different between groups. So, do that again. Primary repeat sections, those who chose TOLAC, those who had intrapartum C-section, those who ended up with a successful TOLAC, in other words, a VBAC, and uterine rupture was not statistically significant between 
groups. So you did. We do all this. We did put them in this package program. And do we get more TOLAC? Not really. Do we get more VBAC? Not really. Do we get a decrease in uterine rupture? No, not really. So this is why I said at the beginning, if somebody could just make one good tool that just worked, that would be great. Yes, it definitely did get a reduction in metabolic acidosis and major birth trauma, which was very rare to begin with. But that had to do with just uniform, standardized intrapartum protocols, guys. Just be careful. Uh, Just do what you got to do. One of the commentaries on the PRISMA studies puts it very, very nicely. Uh, So I'm going to read this to you, and then we're going to start wrapping this up. Quote, the multifaceted intervention precludes identification of which component actually resulted in the improved outcome. Further assessment of the components of this intervention in different patient populations is warranted and would help practitioners better understand how to incorporate these findings into practice. All right, you guys, here it is. Here's a big one. Quote, clinician training and best practices for intrapartum care may be the most helpful given the reduction in rates of neonatal metabolic acidosis and trauma, end quote. Well, thanks. Yes. How about this? Follow evidence-based guidelines intrapartum. I never would have thought about that. I mean, that's amazing. That's, guys, sarcasm aside, uh, it, it just makes the point. You can use single independent tools. You can combine them in a multi-form Prisma file, and it's fine. It's not really changing what we want it to change, which is decreasing the uh, the, the, the uterine rupture rates. Uh, I know. I mean, I, it, it is what it is. So anyway, lust for TOLAC, I don't know. It's an education tool. But if we think we're going to reduce uterine rupture rates just by that, while some of the data can be favorable towards that, the aggregate data just doesn't support that just yet. Guys, as we get ready to wrap this up, the final reference will come from the Gray Journal from February 2022, which was a randomized trial that looked specifically at the the usefulness of this lower uterine segment thickness before delivery uh, in women with a previous C-section. Again, this is the, the France publication, and, and it was disappointing. I mean, according to this RCT, quote, Ultrasound measurements of lower uterine segment thickness did not result in a statistically significant lower frequency of maternal and perinatal adverse outcomes than standard management, end quote. And so you're like, all right, let's walk away from that. But then they say, but it was a little underpowered to actually look for that. So further research was necessary. Do you see how controversial this is? Um, you would think if something is there, it would be easy to find and it would absolutely translate to to the adverse outcome. Um, but this publication uh, out of the Gray Journal, again, February 2022, it, it just it just wasn't there. That was the, the Rosenberg study. Uh, so I just wanted to leave it at that. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. So keep those fires burning. And I don't mean that as a motivational sense. I mean, keep those fires burning. It's cold. It's cold out there. <laughs> so our, our podcast family in Canada, my goodness. Wow, y'all are incredible. Minus 40. Uh, well, we care for you guys and we're thinking of you. So as always, we're grateful for you. We're thankful for you. We're glad you're part of our podcast community. And we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.